So we are uh, continuing our series on gospel human flourishing. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be in a couple different texts this morning. I'd love to give us a little bit of a context to where we are. We're allowing Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7 to kind of be the staple thesis for us as we go through this series. And just to repeat that to you, as Jeremiah tells the people of God as they're entering into exile, he says this, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. So though they are sojourners or they are exiles in this space, they are called to seek the welfare of the city. And so we believe that the gospel, it compels us and it uh, is almost a mandate to us to seek the betterment, the flourishment of where God has set our feet. We are called into the world to cultivate it. We're called into the world to keep it, to make it better. We're not just waiting to get to heaven, but we are in this life allowing the kingdom to flow through our lives here and now. And so repeatedly, we're going to talk about how the gospel compels us to engage the world. Not fear and not guilt, but the gospel of grace compels us to love and care for this world. So last week, this week, and next week, we have three installments where we're focusing on justice. And so if you weren't here last week, I'm going to give us a little bit of a synopsis, but would encourage you to check it out in more, uh, more detail. But we walked through what a biblical view of justice is. We got a lot of voices telling us a lot about what justice is and what it is. And so let's just remove those and allow the Bible to speak to us. And that's what we're trying to do. And we're going to continue that today. There's the design of last week, this week, and next week is to build on each other and to support each other. And so baseline, what is the uh, biblical justice? We talked about this last week. Karen Ellis, who is the uh, professor at RTS, uh, she says this, when, when we pursue justice, we proclaim the kingdom of God on earth, his intentions in the world as he intended it to be, making wrongs right, holding the unjust accountable, seeing to it that the wrong, wronged are made whole. And when we pursue biblical justice, we communicate that there's a better day to come. So there's a biblical precedent uh, to care for the quartet of the vulnerable, which would be the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the immigrant. And so we talked about that at length last week. And if you have questions along the way, email me, Ernie at SojournOnline.org. Um, love to chat with you. And so I want to spend this morning talking about how Jesus viewed justice. So last week we talked about a biblical view of justice. This week we're going to talk about uh, how Jesus spoke about justice. And next week we're going to talk about how the early church responded to justice. And so when we say we want to follow Jesus, we, we mean we want to be with Jesus. We want to become like Jesus. We want to do what he did. So it's important to us to kind of learn what did Jesus say about justice. If we want to follow Jesus, his voice matters more than any other voice. And so it's important for us to know what was his heart when it came to justice. So let's begin here. Um, in college, there were core curriculum classes that you might have taken. And there were elective classes that you might have taken. So core curriculum classes were necessary to graduate and electives were not. So I took two semesters of swimming Swimming classes were not needed for me to graduate, right? Like those weren't necessary for me. Those were lazy classes that I took to kind of be a built-in gym for me for two semesters, and it was just an easy way to check the box off. So elective classes are not necessary to graduate, but core curriculum classes are. So what we are going to find is that Jesus' care for the quartet of the vulnerable are not elective uh, 
for his followers, but they are core curriculum. They are necessary part of who we are. As apprentices, we will do well. We want to build our lives upon Jesus to learn from him. So I'm going to look at three texts. The first is in Luke 4, and then we'll continue from there. In Luke chapter 4, what we find is up to this point in Luke 4, Jesus has spent uh, his life in obscurity. He was a carpenter and just did uh, casual, uh, what seems to be just normal uh, ways of living. And then he was baptized and he entered into this space of ministry. And one of the first things he did after being baptized is what we find in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He enters into the synagogue, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and the first scripture that he reads is this. It says this in um, Luke 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's repeating Isaiah 61. And again, proclaim the good news to the poor. Proclaim liberty to the captive. Recovering the sight of the blind. Set at liberty those who are oppressed proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. He walks away and the people are stunned at what they've just witnessed. See, Jesus came and brought his kingdom to restore this broken world. Yes, he he brought forth redemption to us personally. He came to bring forth salvation to reconcile you to God because sin separated us. He brought reconciliation to us personally and also to restore the cosmos, to restore the world to its intended design. See, we live in a deeply broken world that's deeply fractured by sin and by death. And Jesus came to bring restoration, not just to to people, not just to spirits, but he came to reconcile all things that have been marred by sin and the fall to Himself. See, Jesus didn't just move on from the Old Testament's concern for justice. In fact, Jesus was a, had an intense interest in and love for the same kind of vulnerable people that we see in the Old Testament. He shared both the, the zeal of the Old Testament for the vulnerable, but he also used justice as a heart analysis. It was like a scan of the soul to see where your heart was before God. See, an encounter with grace inevitably leads to a life of caring for the vulnerable. Uh, 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 An encounter with grace leads to a care for others. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Micah all leveled this charge. that You can attend church. You can observe religious um, regulations. You can know the Bible and take advantage of or ignore the vulnerable and the weak. And that would be uh, a scan that identified that your heart was off. See, a lack 
of justice is a sign that our hearts are not right with God. I want to read a few passages in the Old Testament that drove the life of Jesus. We see it as he shared throughout his life. There are two in Isaiah that I want to make mention of. The first is in Isaiah chapter 1. Again, this is one of the verses or one of the chapters we talked about when it came in an encouragement for y'all to read uh, over this, this, uh, these few installments around justice. But Isaiah begins in the first chapter of this 66 uh, chapter book that he's writing. And in verse 13, he says this. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moon and your appointed feast my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. And then to verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. In other words, don't just focus on spiritual sacrifices. Don't just focus on uh, gathering to worship and doing the right laws before me. He says, I want that to lead to now this in verse 17. Learn to do good, to seek justice, to correct oppression, to bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. He says, I'm fed up with just a spiritual version of following me. I want your life to not just be affected on Sunday. I want your life to be taken over to where all of me is now pouring out from you, even Monday through Saturday and how you treat others. And you fast forward in Isaiah 58 and you hear something similar. In verse 6, again, what I'm trying to do here is allow the Bible to teach us. We've been taught in a lot of different ways on what justice is and isn't. I'm saying let's take a step back from all the voices and just let the Bible guide us. In Isaiah 58, verse 6, it says, Is not this the fast that I chose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor, uh, homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. And your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. He says, as you commit yourself to caring for the ones that I care for, then your light shall bring forth and there will be a, a saltiness and a light that will exude from your life. See, Christians are not only concerned about saving souls. We are also compelled to care for the people that Jesus teaches us to care for. We have a temptation to compartmentalize, but the gospel compels us to care for the soul of a human and the need of that same human who's made in the image of God. It's not enough to preach. Yes, we preach the gospel. We will not minimize the fact that we're called to do so, but the gospel also compels us to do something, not just to say something. Just as Jesus brought the kingdom into the world, so are we called to do the same. In this first scripture reading that we see in Luke 4, Jesus reminds us of biblical justice. It's not just an elective. It's a core curriculum. Then we see the second point we're going to find in Luke chapter 14. Uh, my second point, which would be this. Jesus overturned the systems of his day to invite his people to be distinct in the world. 
This, this passage is, is quite challenging, so put your seatbelts on. I was, I've been feeling it all week, but it's good for us. We want the red letters to define us. Um, we don't want to just make up a version of Jesus that isn't true. Let's let Jesus and all of Jesus shape us. In verse 12 of chapter 14, Jesus says this. He said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And if you want to feel Jesus' care for the quartet of the vulnerable, look no further than Luke 14 and the way that he invites us into this. Um, Luke 14, the context of this is a society that's uh, kind of driven by a, a patronage uh, system, like a hierarchy-type system. They used banquets to climb the ladder of success. So they use their resources to build their own resume and to build their own LinkedIn profile, if you will. So these banquets were expensive, but they paid off. And they paid off because they would, uh, it would leverage their business to do better and build their own ladder of success and their own resume. And Jesus' his advice here was an economic and social suicide. Like what he's doing here is jarring to this day. He says, don't just build relationships with people who can help you, but with people with no influence who could never pay you back. See, Jesus' ethic of love transcends um, and attacks the world system in the first century and today. We read this and it's like, whoa, this is wild, but it's also wild in the first century in the way that he was addressing and confronting his care for the quartet of the vulnerable. He says, don't just invite people that are just like you over to your house. Don't just allow your social realities to be driven by people who are just like you, who think like you, who act like you, who are in the same tax bracket as you. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. He says, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. And so your repayment will be in the age to come where Jesus looks you in the eyes and says, well done, good and faithful servant. We're investing into that day by serving here and now. I don't think we understand how much God cares for the widows, the orphans, the poor, and the immigrant. If we're honest, it's our desire for comfort and ease that mutes our obedience to Jesus in this way. We can easily overlook this profound, significant declaration that Jesus provides. John Newton, who was the captain of a slave ship and later in his life became an abolitionist. He shifted his perspective and his care for humanity, and he turned and became an advocate for those who were slaves. He said this about this passage in particular. He said, one would almost think that Luke 14, 12 through 14 was not considered part of God's word, nor has any part of Jesus' teaching been more neglected by his own people. That's profound. Can I just read that again? One would almost think that Luke 14, 12 through 14 was not considered part of the, God's word, 
nor has any part of Jesus' teaching been more neglected by his own people. I do not think it is unlawful to entertain our friends, but if these words do not teach us that it is in some respect our duty to give a preference to the poor, I am at a loss to understand them. What he's articulating here is that there are, this is a challenge that Jesus is providing to us. If we want to know how to follow Jesus, we said last week we have an expectation here that our heart is that we want to follow Jesus. We want to submit ourselves to to who this man was to be with him, become like him, and do what he did. If that's true, then these words matter to us in regards to who he cared for. See, what this isn't saying is that you can't have people over that that are similar to you. Even Jesus dined with his disciples regularly. But what this is saying is that in all that we are doing, if we're not doing this, then maybe our view of the gospel is skewed. It's not about if we are in the kingdom. Maybe that's the question you have. If, if I'm not doing this, am I not in the kingdom? I would say that's not the question we want to ask, but maybe the question we can ask is this. The question is, is uh, if the kingdom has gotten into us, like it's, it's, the question isn't, am I in the kingdom or not? The question is, has the kingdom begun to take over your life? Has the kingdom of Jesus begun to shape you in such a way that we're beginning to exude Jesus with our lives? We're beginning to care for people that Jesus cared for. We're beginning to have eyes that, that Jesus had for the more marginalized and the quartet of the vulnerable. And I can take you to dozens of places. The lawyer came to Jesus and he said, what's the great command? He's trying to trick Jesus. And he says, the answer is, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. He's Jesus' best friend in the, epistle, uh, in the epistles in 1 John. He says, uh, you, can, you can't love God who you can't see, but hate your brother who you can see. You can't differentiate the vertical and the horizontal in our relationships. Paul, as he speaks to the church in Galatia, and he's trying to reset them around the gospel. As you read it, you find that to be true right in the middle of it in Galatians 2. He says, and remember the poor. As he's talking about the gospel, he's reminding us to remember the poor. See, Lord, Luke 14 is a challenge to suburban, individualistic, put your garage door down and enter your own kingdom Christians. And it's inviting us to follow Jesus, to to feel the heart of God. Again, we talked about this last week. The one who existed in the form of God. He did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He extended grace to us. If you want to know what grace is, I heard somebody say it recently. Grace is getting dessert when you didn't eat your dinner. You know what I'm saying? Like, and in the same way, we've been given the grace of God. And yet, if we don't extend it, that we have to ask the question, am I really experiencing the depth of God's grace that leads me to care for people that are different than me? And what does this look like for us? What does Luke 14 look like for us? It looks differently for each one of us. See, if we don't rub shoulders with the quartet of the vulnerable, we'll never be able to invite them into our lives. So it begins by rubbing shoulders with people that are different than us. This is not an elective. This is a core curriculum. Lastly, Matthew 25. My third point here, which is this. Jesus was clear on the type of community that his disciples would establish. 
So Matthew 25, we went through Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, for an entire year, finished up uh, a few months ago. And we preached through this, but I want to just mention this again. Matthew 25, verse 34, we read this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did, you, didn't, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus, he's speaking to two groups, these sheep and these goats. We're not going to talk about the goats. We can go back to the series and get in more detail with that. But he's, he's talking about the final judgment. He uses these two examples. The first would be sheep. Those are, that, that's a picture of God's people the sheep, and again, we talked about this several weeks ago, but sheep are not the smartest animals. When you, when you search what are the top five animals that are smart, the top five smartest animals, you're not going to find sheep in the top five list. What you will find is a crow, an octopus, an orangutan, a dolphin, a chimpanzee. Sheep are nowhere to be found. And God uses that animal as the animal that depicts his people, me and you. The sheep throughout the scripture are a depiction of the people of God. And he mentions the fruit of his people. And he gives these six uh, things in particular. He says, uh, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me, etc. These six things in particular were the fruit of these sheep. See, we struggle with, uh, with this in our compartmentalized perspective. Our view of salvation can be very individualistic. It's about my relationship with God. It's about my eternal state. And yeah, it is a part of that. Yet Jesus unites again loving God and loving people. Loving God and loving others is inseparable to our faith. Faith without works, yes, it's dead. Family, we read this and we're reminded that we belong to another kingdom. Our kingdom is not of this world. Therefore, we don't fit into a tribe or a political group. We are politically homeless. And Jesus is clarifying that here. We are for the quartet of the vulnerable, the poor, the widow, the orphans, and the immigrant. From womb, yes, to the tomb, we are summoned to allow grace, not guilt, not fear, but grace to compel us to this vision of human flourishing for all people. His grace is designed to infect us and lead us to treat others as we have been treated. Tim Keller says, no heart that loves Christ can be cold to the vulnerable and the needy. No heart that loves Christ can also be cold to the vulnerable and the needy. This is the type of community that Jesus is inviting his disciples into. Not this, this kind of silo society that's separate from the world and kind of does uh, potlucks every once in a while or does irregular kind of silo things but doesn't engage the world. You can do the potluck thing, that's fine. But it leads us to loving our neighbor. It leads us to caring for the quartet of the vulnerable. This is not an elective. It's a core curriculum. And as followers of Jesus, he is teaching us what it looks like to do what he did. Jesus cares for the poor. 
cares for the orphans. He cares for the widow and he cares for the immigrant. And I'm praying. One of my biggest prayers is we've been going through this threefold installment around justice and more broadly this gospel human flourishing series is that it would awaken some things in our hearts that maybe we've forgotten about for years or even decades. They've laid dormant because the busyness of life. I think about um, things related to foster care or caring for the widow or the immigrant or the poor or the orphan. And I'm praying that God would awaken something in our hearts as a community. Maybe some things that we have suppressed for years because life's gotten busy. Praying that God would awaken those things in our heart. I've invited a friend, Christy Simmons, to come up. She's a part of our community and the executive director of Elena Angels. And wanted her to just share for a few minutes about what's happening in the foster care system. This month is Foster Care Awareness Month. And I wanted to give her a few minutes to kind of piggyback on some practical things that are happening um, before we close. So come on, uh, give it up for Christy, guys. Thank you. Yeah, so May is uh, Foster Care Awareness Month. So it just kicked off yesterday, which is, um, I don't know, kind of exciting, I guess, for us. But um, I really appreciate Ernie asking me to speak. And foster care is not the words used in um, the gospel, right, or in the quartet of the vulnerable. But um, I actually think that the foster care community is touched by each piece of the quartet of the vulnerable. Single moms is an easy one, right? A lot of our biological moms, a lot of our foster moms are single moms. Um, Obviously, orphans is probably the easiest one to see where that fits. But Um, The poor, we know that over 20% of youth who age out of foster care are immediately homeless. Um, Less than 50% are employed at age 24, and the poverty rates are, I think, five-plus times what they are in the general population. Um, And then immigrants also. One of our families that we're serving right now, the children are in foster care because um, their parents were deported. And so, you know, each one of those pieces of the quartet of the vulnerable, we see that link in foster care. Um, And we also know that when children or youth age out of foster care, um, the outcomes are really bleak. They, less than 50% will graduate from high school, Um, less than 3% will make it to college, and only about half of those will graduate from college. We also know that over 85% of sex trafficked individuals spent time in foster care, and over 75% of our prison population currently spent time in foster care. There's a quote from Bishop Desmond Tutu that says, when people are falling in the river, at some point you have to stop pulling them out, and you have to go upstream and see why they're falling in. And so all these areas of social justice, all these things we know we care about and we want to change in our communities, you go upstream and you see this common link that something's missing, right? We're not doing something right in the foster care system and with these kids. Um, And, you know, it feels so out there. Um, Here in Cobb County, there are over 500 children in foster care. And over 40% of them will have to be placed in homes outside the county because there's a shortage of foster homes. Hmm. Um, And those who do choose to foster, over 50% will close their homes in the first six months to a year because they feel under-supported and overwhelmed. Hmm. Um, And so there's something we need to do, right? Like, as a community, we are not doing this right. Um, And so what we do at Atlanta Angels is we come alongside and we support Um, the whole family. So we match volunteers with a local foster family to really pour into them on a monthly basis. This is called our Love Box program. And we support the entire family. Children in foster care have experienced immense trauma. 
Um, and we use what's called the TBRI, or Trust-Based Relational Intervention Model, to help heal their trauma through healthy and consistent relationships. But we don't only serve the children in care, we serve the foster parents so that they feel supported to do this work, and we serve adopted or biological children in the home because we know that they're impacted also, and there can be secondary trauma. And so as we, we support them, um, we reduce the rate at which their homes are closing. We allow those children to stay in a good, healthy placement because every move um, is a new trauma, and it sets them back four to six months developmentally. And so we want to reduce the rate at which that's happening. Currently, on average, children move seven times every two years. Seven times every two years. And I just want you to imagine what that's like. Last um, December, we were bringing a, love, a little care package to a, a single foster mom um, up in Cherokee County, and she had a new placement come to her a couple weeks before Christmas. And I asked about them, and she said they're, uh, it was a sibling set of three. Two of them were twins, and their birthday was the next day. So they were about to celebrate their birthday and then Christmas in a home with a stranger. Um, and so we want to have those healthy and consistent relationships. So that if they do move, there are people that are continuing to pour into them. And then we offer mentoring through our Dare to Dream program, and that's for youth who are at risk of aging out or have aged out of foster care. When you hear that statistic about college, youth who age out of care have a full ride to any state school of their choice. Um, and they're not not taking advantage of that because they don't want to. Something's keeping them from doing that, right? They don't have people who are helping them fill out their applications and driving them on college visits and paying for their, but you know, all those things that we have um, when we have parents. So um, the mentoring, we walk them through really crucial life skills that will help them to be more successful upon aging out. Um, so, how can you get involved? Our information's up there. If any of this sounds like something you want to be involved in, there's lots of ways. We need Lovebox groups. We have families currently on our wait list here in our community to be served. Um, we are in need of mentors to mentor youth. We are especially in need of male volunteers and mentors. Um, but if volunteering doesn't sound like the right fit for you, Donating is a really great way to be involved and help also. $33 a month supports one child in our programs. Um, so I would love to chat with you. My information's up there, Christy at AtlantaAngels.org. Um, Michaela is also a member here at Sojourn, and she's speaking at the 11, and she's our director of volunteers, so feel free to reach out to her as well. Um, but would love to chat with you all more about that. So thank you, Ernie. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm just praying that we would make a dent, you know? Like 500 sounds crazy. What about 20? Like what about 30? What about, what would it look like for some of us? I mean, even just in my praying, like what would it look like for us to shift our dreams towards a me-centric future of retirement, towards being able to invest into some of these kids? What would it look like to resource some of our finances? Maybe we don't have the ability or the capacity to be a foster care family. That's fine. What would it look like to invest financially and with our resources towards this end? And Jesus cared. He cared about the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, and the poor. And, and so we want to follow him. We, want to follow, we don't want to limit Jesus to the ways that make us feel good, that get us to, to get out a free card into heaven. Like We want to actually follow him here and now. Like that's what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be an apprentice and to learn from him. And yeah, it's my prayer that, that we would see 
shift, that we would become a light in this community, not for our own glory, but that, that we would care in such a way that light would spring forth from this community and the gospel would go forth because people began to see these Christians actually care about their neighbors. They actually really love and they're willing to sacrifice and they want to love the needs of the people in this community. Man, I'm praying that that would happen through us. Jesus cares and so should we. Gospel human flourishing isn't an elective, but it's a core curriculum. Let's pray together. Father, we lift to you the needs of this community, some of which that we are just not aware of. Um, And we want to see you move. We want to carry your heart in Cobb County. We want to see, yes, the gospel go forth. And God, I want it to go forth like a wildfire in this area. I want to see lives changed by the message of Jesus. Lord, I also want us to care deeply for the quartet of the vulnerable. And I pray that you would help us. God, by your spirit, a motivational teaching is going to do nothing for us. God, I want your spirit to shape us in such a way that we try to figure out how we can sacrifice here and, and change things here so we can care and serve and get after loving people. God, would you help us? Father, we confess that we are focused on ourselves. We care a lot about our comfort. We care a lot about our own kingdoms. And we repent. And we turn. And we say, would you help us follow you? By your spirit, By your strength, would you lead us, God? Would you give us wisdom and discernment of what that looks like? God, I pray that you would awaken hearts here and and online and and people. Lord, I pray you'd awaken things that have laid dormant for years. Draw us afresh to caring for the people that you care for. Help us not to make this political issues. Lord, help us to, to find ourselves homeless in the political world and allow us to just get after following Jesus together. We turn to you. We ask you to help us to follow you, Lord. We bless you. And we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.